welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bohm. I am your host. And if this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. This is episode 170. And my guest this week is Missy DeBeast from Mannequin Pussy. They have a brand new album called I Got Heaven, which is available for pre-order now. Comes out March 1st, 2024. Uh, I gotta say it's probably my most anticipated record right now the singles they've released so far are fantastic um then they'll be kicking off a headlining u.s tour in april with soul glow those tickets are on sale now i'm very excited for what they have going on next year um, i want to let you know that if you are new here that there is a bonus episode available right now where missy answered questions that were submitted by subscribers you can access that by going over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. Subscribe for as little as $3 a month and you'll get access to that bonus episode plus all of the other bonus content. I do a radio show, which is exclusive to the Patreon. There's a Discord channel, all sorts of stuff. We're hanging out all the time. I'm doing a tour journal because I am currently at this moment on tour. My band Touche Amore is on tour with Deaf Heaven right now. Tonight, we will be in Philadelphia at the uh, TLA, Theater of Living Arts. Uh, Thursday, we're going to be in Boston at the Royale. Saturday, in Washington, D.C. at the Howard Theater. Sunday, in Queens, New York at the Knockdown Center. We then fly back to the West Coast, where on December 7th, we're going to be in San Francisco at the Regency Ballroom. Friday, December 8th at the Novo in Los Angeles take a couple days off and then in Wednesday on a Wednesday December 13th we're going to be out in Denver Colorado at the Summit Music Hall Friday December 15th Touche is going to be headlining in Fort Worth Texas we're going to be playing Tulips excited to see that place uh, we're going to be there with Record Setter and Pale Fade Saturday December 16th in Austin Texas at Stubbs that's where we're ending this tour uh, we hope to see you there and uh, without further ado, here is my conversation with none other than the brilliant, the talented, the charming. It's Missy DeBeast. Missy, it is so nice to meet you officially. How are you today? I'm so good. It's so nice to meet you as well. Thank you. We have a lot of mutual friends. Uh, and it's just wild that I don't think our paths have like officially crossed between like, I know that you're obviously friends with like Soul Glow. Yes. And... Uh, our mutual friend Spencer, who just got off the road with you, I just went. Oh, out. Y yes, that's right. Okay, yeah. yes, yeah. He and I just went and saw <laughs> Pris Priscilla together last night. It's cute. Did you yeah. have fun? Little date. Yeah, it was very nice. I, oh. I love that guy to death, and it was you know I'm happy he's home. I love Spencer. We had a great time with him. Yeah, he's yeah. I, we have so many mutual friends, but I feel like I'm like a. I just I kind of like hang out in the shadows for so much of my. I'm like either on tour or in the shadows and then and then I finally meet people who I'm like, oh, yeah, I have like 50 mutual friends with you. Let's go. <laughs> sure. And I'm sure we both have an undying love for someone like Matt McGreevy at Epitaph who's like yes. just about the best person on planet Earth. Um, yes, who... I love Matt. Everyone at Epitaph, really. It's very rare that a person can say that about their record label. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, <laughs> you know, we're we're no longer on the label but he's someone that i was like it doesn't even matter anymore because like that's my boy like i like yeah. we hang out in terms of like I, we don't have to talk music stuff like i just want to talk about how cool your dog is you know um <laughs> <laughs> uh, so are you from philly originally no i'm oh. from two and a half hours north in connecticut oh okay so actually philly's not even like my closest city 
that would have been closest to me growing up. Like that was New York City. And then, but I moved to Philly now going on like 11 years ago. Okay. Did you spend time in New York? Like, did you ever have a stint like living in like Brooklyn or anything like that? I did. Yeah. I tried it for like a year and a half and I was just like, I, I, it was really that thing where every time I would get high, I would just be so adamant that that place should not exist. (laughs) I was just like, I don't know if you guys are seeing this, but like none of this seems natural or safe to me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And it just wasn't like I I was born in New York City and like I have a lot of family who um is is from from there like and so I it's a big part of you know like my life and in my my like culture in a way in my family's culture but it just was not the place I think for me artistically and I didn't I didn't see myself kind of growing there artistically in the way that I wanted to Was it like uh, your first place out of the house sort of a situation. Like, I don't know if you went to college there or something like that, but was it just like, oh, this seems like where the art stuff is happening, where like, you know, people are, you know, expressing themselves. This is where I want to be. Well, I think the mythology of New York is so incredibly written that we all think that that's where the art is happening growing up. You Like no matter where you are growing up as a kid in the United States, it's like New York is the thing is, or is the place where things happen. New York is the place where like bands come together and music happens. And then, you know, I think things really changed dramatically in the kind of 2010s when I was really more so coming of age. Um, And it was just like, this place is just a capitalist hellscape that is impossible to live in without you know, monumental struggle. No, I, I, I completely understand. Like, it's a place that I romanticize a lot and it's because I never live there. Like, I still have like that kind of romantic relationship whenever we get to see it. Because it's like, anytime I'm, we're like crossing the bridge and I'm seeing the skyline, like, I can't help but like... Oh, yeah, my heart skips a beat for sure. Absolutely. I love it. I And I've always said like, I'd love to be able to live there for a year or something like that. But it's it's one of those places that it's like, it's so hard to finally get in and then leaving. It's like, you're never going back. Yeah, it's very true. I think I was like, I was really like caught in a grind there. It's like where I had like, I had an office job and I was, you know, I was doing all the things that you're, you're told you're supposed to do, you know, and I I was, I was really given that a good try. Right. And then slowly was like oh the things I'm supposed to do don't feel very good (laughs) so the first thing that I usually ask musicians um is so you're from Connecticut so when you were growing up what was the first thing that you connected with musically that felt like it was yours maybe not something that was being played in the house by some sort of parental figures but something that you discovered on your own that gave you a sense of identity I it definitely came through going to shows like there, I, I I hate to be dramatic I mean I don't hate to be dramatic but I will be dramatic <laughs> okay. um Connecticut's kind of devoid of culture like it's not it's a very the stereotypes about it are true it's not a very welcoming place to be different by any means and so I, there were I had a few friends who were also very um just kind of like we were all kind of like hot topic alt is how I yeah. would describe it. You know, we were like that was kind of our vibe in high school. And we just really wanted to start our own band together. And we had a lot of guy friends who were all in bands together. 
and who we would go and would support, you know, we'd go to like the teen centers and there'd be battles of the band and like things like that. And so it felt like there was this, this special kind of secretive culture of kids making music that I just very desperately wanted to be a part of, but um, never really got to. Like it, that was never like kind of part of my my high school path. Like my high school path was more to be an observer than a participant in that culture. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. What, what, just out of my own curiosity, was there music in the house? Like, was there things that your parents were into? Oh yeah. My parents are, um, like very into music and art and culture. My grandpa owned a record store in Baltimore. So my mom really came from, uh, a world where music was such not just, you know, like in the house all the time, but was kind of, you know, the livelihood of the family. Maybe not the strongest livelihood, as you could imagine, like owning a record store, probably a tough way to support five kids. But, um, you know, it was just, I think everyone in the family is like kind of like a dreamer and and really moved by music in that way. So there was just always music on in the house or in the car. And um, it What were was, some of their favorites? Do you remember? Yeah, my mom was really into, um, you know, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and Lou Reed. Um, my dad was really into Annie Lennox and the Eurythmics and Bob Marley. Um, so yeah, pretty wide spectrum. Yeah. My parents were really all over the place when it came to music and really showed me a lot of different types of music. Were those things that you also found yourself connecting to? Because there's often, there's often that kind of pushback of like, oh, this is my parents' music. Did you find yourself enjoying it? Or did you find yourself liking it and appreciating it more as you got older? The only time I remember pushing back against my parents' music was when my, my mom had a period when she got really into John Mayer. <laughs> and I, I was just like, mom, this is so, this is just not cool. This is so whack. You know, I, and especially at that age, I had started to discover heavy music and and that's definitely kind of like what felt like for me like when I would go to Sam Goody to buy CDs what I would buy was not what my parents was listening to I was really getting into punk for the first time or just like anything that had that like aggressive heartbeat to it and so around that age I feel like my mom's and I taste started deviating sure in terms of modern modern music yeah 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 that's really funny um I was curious what uh cuz you mentioned your 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 grand your grandpa had a had a record store. Do you remember the name or did you ever catch the name of it and like how long it lasted and all that? Yeah, it was called Record Collections. It was on Charles Street in Baltimore. I don't know exactly when it opened, but I would he used to be a pharmacist and then he quit being a pharmacist because he always wanted to have a record store. So I think it opened in like the 60s or 70s and closed down in the early 90s when he died. Oh, that's okay. I could be, I could be, my dates could definitely be off. But yeah, I, I, I very, very much wish that I could have like come of age knowing my pops because I think we would have had so much in common and so much to talk about. Yeah, I'd love to see like a photo of it. Do you, are there any photos around that you that like you have access to to ever see like what it looked like on the inside and what the logo th- was and all? I that? think so. I actually I have a shirt from it, which is oh, that's awesome. One of my prized possessions, like the the merch for the store was he printed or drew maybe um, portraits of Mozart, Chopin, and Beethoven, and so I have the one that's like 
Mozart's face and it just says Record Collections Baltimore on it. It was a lot of classical stuff. Um, and uh, it also had a rare book component. So there were a lot of books in it as well. Um, but it also very varied. Like I've seen my aunt who lives in um, Baltimore still has, I think, quite a number of records from his collection. And I've been able to go through it before. And it, it's also very varied. Like there's just a lot of different styles of music from all around the world. And yeah, I, I think that's something that maybe is genetic in some ways, just this this genre hopping that exists in us. For sure, for sure. So what was the first album that you remember buying with your own money, like whether it was like Allowance or, or something like that? Does anything come to mind? Uh, would it have been, a, it would have been CDs, I'm assuming, or was it, or were you kind of coming up in the download era? No, I was coming, I was coming up in the CD era for sure. Um, I've been trying to th think about what it was and, I might be off a little bit on this, but I think the first record I bought might have been um, Sum 41's All Killer No Filler from Sam Goody. That it, sounds or, about right, yeah. Or at least, yeah, it. the time period sounds correct. Like, I think it that album maybe came out like 2000 or 2001 or something like that. That sounds correct, yeah. Um. And that was when I was a freshman in high school. So I I was like just starting to kind of buy music and, and was also, you know, encouraged by my mom who was a collector and kind of came from a family of collectors. They're like, oh no, like when you like something, you should, you should buy a physical copy of it. Cause not only was that the only way to kind of have your own music on demand, but like the concept of having a collection was, was very uh, supported. Awesome. We love this. Uh, yeah. that's, that's, super, that's super cool. Uh, I, you know, I missed the boat on some 41 in the way that just like, I, I was already like in inundated with whatever punk and hardcore or whatever at the time. And I, I completely understand the appeal that they had for like the younger generation, because not only did it do all the pop punk stuff and they had the angst and the attitude and like their personalities, but they also had like, elements of like rap rock which was also popular yeah, at the time definitely. it's like they just had the checklist they were checking all the boxes of like what is going on right now in, in like young youth culture yeah exactly I mean it was just it was like just aggressive enough that you felt understood by it like your angst felt like it had a name oh sure but was very marketable and commercial you know I mean I definitely kind of like my introduction to a lot of early like rock and punk all came from TV. You know, it was like right. what what was on MTV and then what was on like late night on VH1. Um, yeah, I mean, that was definitely my kind of like, at the same time that I was getting into Sum 41, I like discovered the Stooges at like one in the morning on VH1. So it was, you know, it was all happening at once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I you know, I guess I sort of wax poetic on like the the sweetness of that era in your younger years where you're not, you know, jaded by anything where like it's all just exciting to you, you know, where like you can 
love some 41 and the stooges can hit you at the exact same time and it doesn't feel different it's i mean you can tell that it's different but it's like you can have the same appreciation for both even though they are completely from different worlds you know? oh yeah yeah it's just something magical about that like i think about like being in junior high and like one day wearing a corn shirt and the next day wearing a dead kennedy shirt whereas like <laughs> anyone else would think i'd be the biggest poser in the world but me i'm just like no i think it's all neat <laughs> You know? Yeah, you just you just like things and like totally. without without the pretense of like what does that say about your identity, you know? Yeah. You don't belong to a tribe yet and you don't have any sort of like yeah, f- aggressive feelings towards like needing to have a specific identity yet. My mom actually I, I feel like is the one who kind of sh- I don't know if she would remember this but when that corn video for Freak on a Leash came out, she was the one who was like you have to see this video that I saw today on MTV because she just thought it was like the coolest thing she'd ever seen. Yeah. I don't think she she was maybe as into the music. Like when I first heard it, I was like, this is the coolest shit I have ever heard. Right. But she was just like captivated by that music video. Yeah, it was done really well. It's like Seth MacFarlane video. I think he did, I think he did all the animation for it. Oh, um, damn. Did he? Yeah. Which is super cool. Um, Wait, the one with the bullet? Is yeah. that not Freak on a Leash? Okay, yeah, 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 that one, yeah. Because it the bullet like travels. Th- wait, bullet is it travels half, through stuff? Yeah, is it half animate? Is there animation. animation in the video? I or am I can't of- rec- I can't recall. Okay, people who are listening are just screaming at their phones right now, telling me that I'm wrong about something. It's fine. That's fine. You can keep you can keep yelling. Yeah, we can't hear you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, what was your first concert? My first concert was Jimmy Eat World um, in 2001, awesome. nice. and uh, Piebald was the opener. And it was like just after Bleed American had come out, and uh, I went to see them, I think, in like Hartford, Connecticut, and um, I went with two friends, and I remember just having the best time I think I had ever had in my life up to that point where I felt so free to like dress exactly how I wanted without feeling, you know, judged or made fun of in a way. And then also I, I had never heard of Piebald before that concert. And I remember just being blown away by them, like captivated by the opener would we are the only friends that we have been out at that yes. point? Yes. Oh, and that record. And I, and I had never heard it before. And yeah. I know they were like more of like a straight up hardcore band, I think, before that. Yeah, album. they had like tinges of like screamo week sort of. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe definitely more screamo. But like, yeah, that, that was that record that they had out. And it was just the coolest. Again, it was just like the coolest thing I'd ever scene that's amazing <laughs> i have i have to just put a pot put it just i need to get this out it was i said seth mcfarland which is you did family guy guy if, okay yeah i was like todd, I Mc- todd mcfarland which is the guy who did spawn and all of that sort of stuff and oh, he did do the freak okay. out a leash music video i needed to know that i was paying attention to everything <laughs> you were saying but i did have to type it in and be like am i out of my mind so for people who are currently mad at me for saying Seth MacFarlane, I understand it's Ted Todd McFarlane, and now we're going to talk <laughs> about Jimmy Eat World. So uh, that would have been post Bleed American, 
Um, so they were like the biggest band in the world. So like, I'm sure seeing a big like rock show like that was probably pretty thrilling. I don't even remember it being that big of a club. I, I feel like it must have been like a 500 capacity club or something. In, oh, wow. Or maybe, yeah, like around four to five. Like, I don't remember it being like a, a massive venue with, by any means. Do you like Very go with intimate. friends or was I went it? With just two friends. Um, awesome. my only other friends who were like into rock, like a lot of my other friends were very into like OAR and Jack Johnson and stuff like that. And I was just like, honestly, that that's just for pussies. Like, like you should that. go hang out with my mom. She likes, John <laughs> yeah, Mayer. she likes John Mayer. She likes John Mayer. Like that was very, like, and that was very Connecticut, you know, like most people I knew in Connecticut really liked like John Mayer and OAR, Jack Johnson, you know, the nice stuff. Right. But I didn't – I was just, like, not as captivated by the nice stuff. Was it fascinating <laughs> to you to learn that, like, Hatebreed is also from Connecticut, considering, like, what – you know what I'm talking about? Like I didn't know about that until just now, but yeah, yeah, honestly, kind of kind of checks. Is that, is that, like, kind of insane in a way? Because, you know, like, I think – Bands that sometimes come out like that are so hyper aggressive like that, I think often are born from the places you're just you're describing that are like maybe so devoid of culture or tame or sort of, you know, quote unquote boring that something like that can come out of it, you know? Yeah, that's kind of Stepford wife environment. Mm -hmm. Right. That right. you're like, I don't want this doesn't make any sense to me the way that the people live and what they value and the type of people that they are. But um, yeah, you know, yeah, only a, f a few of my friends were like really into like j just any rock music at all. Sure, sure. Um, so I, I got to actually ask, do you know if Mannequin Pussy has played the venue that you saw that Jimmy World show at? I don't think so. Um, mostly because Same. I don't think we've ever played Hartford. Oh, OK. Um, yeah, I don't think I'd ha I would have to do some digging. I bet I could find out where Jimmy Eat World played on the 2001 Bleed American tour. You know, full circle though, um, is that Jimmy Eat World has um, offered Mannequin Pussy to tour with them like several times. We've, we have not been able to do it. Um, oh. The times that they had offered us like a, a opening slot, but I was just like, oh my God, this is the. Talk first, about a first band, yeah, first band I ever saw live, and it, you know, got me just so excited about the possibility of live music and how that can make you feel. Sometimes even just getting the offer <laughs> is enough, you know. Yeah, just, exactly. Like, knowing that they know, knowing that they know that you exist. Yeah, exactly. Um. So, what did you? What was your first instrument? And was guitar your first instrument? Uh, I took may just a handful of piano lessons, but I just really wanted to play guitar. It was like the only instrument I really wanted to play. Um, or I did actually, I tried to play drums for a while in like my school band, but I was not allowed to. Just too loud? I don't know. I I I, I hate to say it, but I think that in the 90s, there's a, a bit of sexism in it where you, my- no. You lied. I think there might have been. I think, unfortunately, there might have been. I, I, I begged, like, my band teacher to, like, let me play, like, percussion in the band. It was, like, all I wanted to do. And he was like, no, you should play the flute. I was like, I don't want to play the flute. And then when I rolled up to the first, you know, day of band, 
get guess what all the other flute players looked like mm. they were all other little girls yeah. and who was all playing percussion was all the boys and so how yeah, long did know. you did you end up actually playing flute for a little while fuck no i hated that instrument I, it was so like I, I feel like I purposely at that point I you know it didn't take me a, a long time to kind of become a little spiteful like a, just like a little yeah like like shitty kid in that way where I was just like all right well you made me play this and I'm gonna make you suffer for making me play this so I wasn't very good at it and I yeah. didn't want to be good at it right right so, so I just like kind of went into it with a lot of attitude <laughs> is this like junior high-ish sort of or elementary yeah middle school, school. yeah middle school okay so you mentioned also piano. Was that just something that like you took a few lessons and were like, this isn't for me? Took a few lessons. I really liked piano, but I just wanted to play guitar. And mm-hmm. then uh, I think after maybe a, a few years of asking about guitar, um, yeah, my, my parents very graciously got me the that Squire starter pack, you know, Hell the yeah. one that like is like the red Squire starter that comes with like the little 15 15- amp 15 yeah i was gonna ask whether you had the red or the black one because it's always like the red with the white pick guard that one Mm -hmm. yeah i I had that have it i don't actually i i had um uh sold it to a friend who wanted to do a project on a guitar where he like shaved off the sides of it and like made it a circle it looks real cool actually i should have kept it because it was my first but you know yeah it's retrospect it's, it's one of those things where you're like it's not exactly a small thing, you know, it takes, it takes up space. Yeah. You know, and once you start moving. And, yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. Um, do you remember the first song you learned how to play? I didn't. Oh, oh well, actually I do remember the first time I, I learned how to play redemption song by Bob Marley. Okay. Do, 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 do. I think that's it. Right. Yeah. I definitely learned how to play that, but, um, I had no interest in learning how to play other people's songs. Like really? I went, to my first lesson and sh- I, I, I took a, a small handful of lessons with uh, my neighbor, Chris Robeson. And um, I, I, I remember like going to that first guitar lesson and I was like, I wrote a song and I want you to help me find what the chords would be. And I was like already just like off the bat, like showing him lyrics and like melodies and ideas that I had that I didn't know how to find on guitar. So as soon as I started playing guitar, I was just like really focused on like wanting to write my own songs and, and didn't get into learning how to play other people's songs. That's extremely unique. And that also leads me to ask how early in your life did you know that you could sing? Was that something that you immediately knew and you were singing a lot as a little kid or did you grow into realizing you had this ability? I think I'm still growing into realizing that I can sing, honestly. Like, I I feel, you know, like, I've been, like, screaming on records for a long time, but really shied away from singing. Singing makes still makes me incredibly nervous. Wow. Um, That's really and surprising I had, for me to hear. I tried out for a school play, and um, I did not get in. I, I, I still like remember, yeah, like I still remember the audition and, and how bad it, it went. Um, but I was doing, I was doing ballet this whole time. Like I was a ballet dancer. So that was like my main kind of like artistic expression. And then. Okay. Um, um, that's going to probably yeah. come in later for like the pledge music video. Cause that <laughs> caught my attention where I was like, you're in that doing, doing uh ballet in the back. Right. 
yeah, doing some doing some shit in the back. Yeah. Um, um okay. yeah. What was the do you remember what the musical was that you auditioned for? Uh I don't. I was I was in I did like yeah, I didn't I don't remember what it was. Yeah. Maybe like into the woods or something. Okay. Like that? Yeah. Doesn't matter. Leave them, maybe, you know what? Maybe Tommy, actually. You I think what? they did Tommy at my high school. I don't know. Fuck them. Yeah, they're lost, you know? <laughs> they didn't know what they had. Yeah. Um, but no, that's, I mean, I guess that's that uh, that surprised me because it, you know, from the stuff that you've done on all of these records and everything like that, like it just, it sounds very natural. Like you've been living in this voice for a really long time, but it's interesting to hear that you're still kind of warming up to it. Yeah, I think I'm still very much discovering it and like learning what my my voice can do and like what its actual natural range is or and how to write a song for your range and your voice and um but yeah, I think that desire was always there maybe before the ability. Yeah, cuz you talk about how you wanted to start writing songs and you had like ideas for, you know, like lyrics and things like that. Like that to me strikes me as someone who you know, has that already built into their head, like vocal patterns and vocal melodies and things like that. So maybe, you know, it was always there, but, you know, not fully realized until later or something. Yeah. Yeah. The melodies were always like in my head. I loved just like coming up with just completely random melodies and, uh, you know, I guess like poetry really just like kind of like writing down lyrics and ideas and journaling in that way how similar is those early iterations of like how you would write songs then um how similar are they to how you do it now are they pretty similar uh no I mean because now I know how to play guitar and so I do actually kind of like let the guitar come first where I think back then I was I, I didn't really like actually fulfill a lot of those desires I had as a kid because when I was in high school just a lot of other factors came into play and so I did not get to I didn't get to like indulge in my delusions really you know right in the way that like adulthood then if you and then when you get to adulthood you're like oh like now I can now I can like actually play with these delusions that I have right 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 yeah 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 you got less people telling you not to yeah, exactly. Hey there. Do you need to get some merch printed? My incredible sponsors over at Anchorfish Printing has a great deal going on right now. You can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks. Do the math. That's a great deal. For details, email michael at anchorfishprinting.com. You can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer. They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. Uh, so what was the first band you did? I, I did have a, a very short-lived band in high school called Simon and the Mofos. <laughs> and um, we practiced maybe two or three times and then, then some... Some teenage girl shit went down, and and Simon and the Mofos did too. Yeah, was it a uh, how many people were in the band? Was it like a two piece, a three piece? It was a three piece. Okay, did you sing? 
I was, yeah, I, I think there were, we were like all kind of was okay. the panda sing and I, but I was like writing things, but I think we were mostly just like smoking weed out of cans and you know, yeah, <laughs> like we weren't, we, we weren't taking it that seriously. If you were to make an attempt at describing what you were trying to sound like, were you all three on the same page of what you were trying to achieve? Because often those first bands, it's like everybody kind of likes different things, but you all just happen to play instruments. So there you are. We all really loved Blink-182. Okay. And so I I would say that there was like a... And, and at the same time that we were also like into Jackass. Okay. So I feel like there there was just kind of this like snarkiness to what we wanted to to write. Fair. And you mentioned you didn't want to learn other people's songs, so I'm assuming you weren't doing any covers? No. All originals. Uh, yeah, all, well, and uh, but I don't even think like a, a full song ever got written in Simon. Right. Totally, totally. So um, that's not the first band that you played a show with? No, yeah, not the first band I played a show with. Okay, so then what was the first show you ever played? The first show I ever played was a band that I think lasted two shows. We were not like a real band, but in Colorado called Party Favor. Um, Wait, so you were in Colorado? Yes. This So this, this skips ahead um, about almost 10 years at this point. Oh, wow. So we're, okay, well, you know, you don't, <laughs> we don't have to get into all of them, but like, were you playing in like little, in like bands here and there between? No, no. No. So music no. just kind of left for a while. Music left for a while. Um, ballet took over? Ballet took over, but I, I got diagnosed with cancer when I was in high school. So I just became very depressed and insular and just stopped doing everything. So like I had to quit ballet at the same time. So I just like I just kind of fell into a hole for like five years, basically. That's completely understandable. I'm sorry yeah. to hear that. Yeah. But it's, you know, it, yeah. part of the part of the journey. Absolutely. So what what landed you in Colorado? It was the only school I got into and it was pressed upon me that I must go to college. So I, uh, yeah, I wasn't a very good student either. Um, mm. But I, yeah, I went out to Colorado for school. And then when I was there, just like, just had, just eventually met the most wonderful people who were all so into rock and punk and hardcore and just dance music and like everything. And we, I lived in a house there where we used to like host parties and bands would play in our kitchen. And so like, and, and that was like the first time in my life that I think my friends were in bands and they weren't like, like in high school, I feel like a lot of the the guy friends I had, they were all trying to sound like Bruce Springsteen, which was so weird to me that mm. like we were like 15 and you're like trying to have a band where you sound like Bruce. And I'm just like, you know, don't grow up, you know? Right. Like tr try to be a shitty band that sounds like Blink-182 when you're at 15. Like don't – you don't need to sound like Wilco or Jeff Tweedy <laughs> at like fucking 14. Calm down, man. Yeah. That's really but funny. that but that was the vibe of like a lot of my my friends yeah. in in high school they just like wanted to be Jeff Tweedy and I was just, I mean that's cool and Jeff Tweedy's the man but like right 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 yeah you know, yeah come on throw a little we're, angst in there yeah we're fifteen for fuck's sake and then when I was like twenty two and living in this this punk house in Colorado and we would have bands play 
it was just this attitude of like anyone can do this and anyone could get up here and it doesn't matter if you've never played before. So I think at about 22, 23, I started playing guitar again for, and I hadn't touched it since I was like 15. How quickly did it come back? So quick. It was like, I just like remembered, you know, the first things I learned was like how to make a bar chord. That's really all you fucking need, yeah. you know, to yeah. to start writing songs. And even though it had been, uh, you know, seven or eight years since I had touched a guitar, I was just like, as soon as it did, it was just, I started writing songs for the first time. Do you mind if I ask where in Colorado it was? Was it like Colorado Springs? Was it? Boulder. Denver? Oh, it was Boulder? Yeah. So that strikes me as a place that like more DIY bands are probably coming through as opposed to kind of bigger shows right where you guys so you were hosting a lot of like probably punk and hardcore bands like were they playing in like a basement situation or what basement living room kitchen kind of wherever we could get them um so then you start start a band there what's that band called party favor party favor okay yes you said that and this is the first band you played a show with first band i ever played a show with yeah okay so what did this band sound like a mess. <laughs> well, it sounded like, you know, four different, four people all playing like different rhythms and times. And I, I think that there was a lot of like, like party favor is kind of in the name, like maybe a little like smashed up and sure. just, just trying to have a good time doing it. But I, I realized very quickly in the, in the few amount of like, practices that we had that I was like oh this is actually something I really want to do like you got the bug for it yeah and my bandmates didn't you know they just like wanted to party sure what do you remember Um, the first show you played it was in my kitchen um in Goss Grove in Boulder Colorado and I don't remember anything I do I, I I think I I played drums on one song and I played guitar on another it was you know like one of those bands a rotating cast where you're like uh-huh. all right hand can you, can you hold this for a second i gotta move around exactly yeah, yeah it was like that and i just yeah I remember like all of our friends being there and even though we sounded incomprehensible right our friends were just so supportive and we were all so excited by the energy that i do remember after that just like people randomly just getting on the instruments at that point and then like the poor guy's amp who was like funding the whole thing got blown up and right it's just yeah. like it, yeah just shit went horribly awry but it was fun it was just yeah. so much fun so what was this did this band record was this the first band that you recorded with there was a myspace recording of it that lingered somewhere but then when myspace i think messed up all their transfers you know mm, you remember right. when they haven't yeah it's yeah. it's gone i don't I, w- I would have no idea how to find it okay uh, was that like something you guys just did in your place or did you go to a studio to do that? No. Yeah. We had like a basement at our house that we just recorded on a laptop. Okay. Got it. Well, what was your first, what was the first band that you went to maybe like a studio to record with? Mannequin Pussy. Yeah. Yeah. What do all you... my, all my real first were Mannequin Pussy. Like Mannequin Pussy is like my real first band. Sure. Sure. I understand that. Um, yeah. what, what was your first like official recording experience like? And is it something that you're excited about, nervous about? Like, and I'm also curious, like how you take to the studio now and like how much has changed? 
I think I still have a, a, like a healthy amount of nerves and fear going into a studio where it's maybe I don't I don't know if there's some like kind of like metaphor I could give to it where like I, I you know a musician at a certain point is going to have to find themselves in a studio but I wouldn't say a studio is always within the nature of the musician you know like there's studio musicians and then there's like live musicians or performer mm. musicians right. and I I I feel like learning the language of how to speak in a studio was something I learned through my first few records until you know just may, maybe like in the last few years started to feel more comfortable in that space and and also maybe kind of feel like I belonged in that space in a way Yeah no I get that um how when the first time you went to record was it one of the cuz I know Mannequin Pussy put out a couple early cassettes was it one of those cassette situations or would it have been or were those like more home recording as well yeah I mean we were just a, a band that was simply just like making music and screaming live as like like a cathartic almost kind of like art piece kind sure. of in those early years and with no intention to record you know the, the intention was more so to perform and like to play shows than to record and then Eventually, we were like, oh, my God, we actually have enough songs that we we could make a record if we wanted to. So let's do it. So I, I have to – you will laugh or be astonished or in awe or something. But the very first Mannequin Pussy record was recorded at Oscilloscope Laboratories, which is the Beastie Boys. You know what? So <laughs> Studio. Yeah. Was that, just, was, was that so- Andre Kelman, is that what that is? Yes. Yeah. Do you know Andre? I don't, but I, you know, when I was, okay. uh, I try to be investigate. You know, I try to so investigate a little bit. Yeah. So my, I saw that. I was like, wait a minute, this person worked with like they might be giants and Phoenix, yeah, like all of yeah. these artists. Okay, so that was the first like official like in a studio situation. Yes, and I can explain. So okay, like, my I was dating someone at the time who was Andre's intern and assistant, and so he was working at oscilloscope um with andre and then i I met andre and then he was i i i don't know i I think the person i was dating um told andre that we were wanting to make a record for the first time and andre was like well the studio's like we have a bunch of free days next week if they just want to come in for like a day or two and just like make a record in two days Tell them to come by. And I think he charged us like $200 a day to be in, right. you know, just like, you know, like not at all like the rates of what the actual, and I hope, hope nobody ever hears that or gets in trouble. But like, yeah, he just, we just met and he was like, yeah, just tell him to come by and we'll do it. And it was so, yeah, it was just so wild that like that was, it, was the setting we were in. Did you record the music live? We did. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, it's nothing about the first record sounds like it was recorded in like a multi-million dollar studio, you know, it sounds like it was recorded in two days. Yeah. It's got like a very like raw energy to it, which is, you know, I, I feel like that adds to the charm of it but it is also funny to know where it was recorded. you know <laughs> yeah. what i'm saying 
Yeah. It's got like Albini energy to it, to where it's like, just because you're recording with Steve Albini doesn't mean every record's going to sound like the Pixies, you know, like it's going to still sound like the band. So it sounds like an honest recording of who the band was. Where we were from. at. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, one, you know, for better or worse, it's up to you. Uh, I was able to listen to the Boner Jams uh, cassette because um, ah. that that I, I was able to track that down online and I was taken back by a, a how aggressive it was you know like it almost has I was kind of curious who your influences were and I don't want to speak out of turn but I almost got like sort of like a huggy bear ish sort of like kill rock stars sort of like mm. the more aggressive leaning aspect of that I don't know if that was potentially an influence or like what what you all were going for because you were a two piece at the time, right? Yeah, we were two piece. I don't know. I I think there was just so I had so much kind of uh just rage in me at that time. Like mm-hmm. the, per, like just personally, the things that were going on in my world at that time were I had kind of like finally entered a, a period of uh like remission and cancer in knowing that like it probably wasn't going to come back like i was like 5 years in had to kind of deal with that emotionally in some way and then at the same time that i was just starting to accept that like my mom had a stroke and then i had to move home and also like help my dad who was a caretaker for her so we were like th- and and i was 23 and it just felt very to use such an unpoetic word at that point when I was 23, I was just so angry because I felt like everything that happened was so unfair and I didn't feel like any of my friends could relate to my experiences in any way. Like I just felt so isolated because I was going through these things that people don't usually start to deal with until their thirties, forties, fifties. One thousand percent. And I just felt very alone in that anger. And and I felt like I was missing out on, you know, just what what does it mean to be like a young person in your 20s who's out in the world? And, you know, I, I was like living back at my parents' house again to, you know, I, it's I have like my own kind of guilt for that time, too, because I wish I I think I would be a much better caretaker now. Um because it's very hard, but yeah, yeah, I, I feel like all those those boner jams like songs and are just, and I also got my heart broken for the first time at that same time. So it was just like it was just a storm a of culmination shit. of so many different things. It's yeah, like, it's like life experiences that yeah, you're not you're not quote unquote supposed to experience until you're older. You're you know like you your your own personal health. That's a lot. Yeah, that is that is a lot. And I don't think it's, you know, unpoetic to say angry. Like that makes perfect sense, you know, in yeah. in, in every way, shape, and form. Um and it's awesome that you at least had that outlet to express yourself and like you knew how to express yourself, at least in that form, to where like you were able to have some sort of catharsis of those situations. Yeah. It really I mean, like it really just kind of saved me just to yeah. I felt like I needed to scream all the time and it's very frowned upon in society to just go around doing that. And so I, you know, created a space where I could do that. Yeah. So I think a lot of those first Mannequin Pussy songs are really just like me dealing with the what I was walking around with inside of me. And I was like, all right, I'm ready to spill. Like, let's go. Let's just, yeah. just tear me open and just like let me scream as hard as I possibly can. Yeah. Um. 
I mean, you know, it's also it's like so cliche to sort of talk about how, you know, writing lyrics is, you know, uh, a way of coping or therapy and things like that. But did you find yourself able to get that stuff off of your chest more and more like as the band progressed, like in a oh, way yeah. that like was helpful for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I grew up in the early 2000s. Like, we didn't talk about therapy. Like, no one ever put me in therapy when I was 15 and had cancer, you know, like, which is kind of unthinkable now that, like, I was never given someone to talk to. Right. You know, and I was just, like, kind of forced to go into my own head and 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 pretend as though things were normal when they were not. And, like, same, same thing, like, when, when my mom was recovering I was like no one in this family ever like went to therapy like we didn't you know like we just that was not the culture that I grew up in totally same I mean same situation like I I, like we we have very relatable situations here this is yeah that's I I get it I, I get it completely um I just you know I feel like our parents were around in a generation where it's just like well you have to go to work you know? Yeah, yeah. You just have to. It's just part of life, and you just deal with it. Which, in some ways, is kind of a good thing, where it's like it forces you to be like, no, I, I'm still responsible to other people in my life. Like, I'm mm-hmm. still part of a community. I'm still part of like where I, I I will show up, and because I I have to live my life, no matter how hard it's getting. But like, yeah, I think actually dealing with the things that are happening inside of you is definitely worth it (laughs) to to figure out (laughs) totally totally um so that first release which is now just a self-titled release i know um that came out on tiny engines and obviously tiny engines has a complicated history and and everything like that but as your first release was it was it something you were excited about to like get that on vinyl for the first time the first time that came through yeah, I was. I mean, the uh, uh, it it was a dream like I didn't know I had kind of thing. Like the the goal was always just to be in a band and to just like play music. Like I didn't ever think about or I, I don't even think I was ever aware of the aspects of this life that are album cycles and touring and you know, the way that you like ruin your body for a show. Like I was, I was so blissfully unaware of that part of it. To me, it was just, the goal was just to create something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Was, were there music videos off of that first release or was it not until uh, the romantic record? I think there was one for Baby Acts Nice that we kind of like recorded it on like our phones at Ocean City, Maryland, like at on a boardwalk. Oh, okay, yeah. So it's there like was a, okay. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I could actually no. Maybe I didn't see that one because I know one of the music videos off Romantic is more of like a tour music video. It's like a lot of just like footage of you, you all just kind of hanging out. Yeah, yeah. That's it, it, kind of a similar vibe, but yeah, that was on the on the first one though too for Baby X and Ice. Okay, um, I've noticed that especially with uh a lot of the more recent ones you're credited as like a a writer and you're like you seemingly have like a pretty big part of the music video process um am i correct in that yeah i up until the most recent two and the first one we did yeah i've directed a a a few of the manic and pussy music videos and then like executive produced i guess like some others (laughs) 
Yeah. Is that something that like, were you a fan? Like, like, were you always a big fan of music videos like coming up and it was like an art form that you were excited about that like interested you that made you that you always wanted to be a part of? Or was it just like, you know, I feel like a lot of bands in our world, especially like the kind of size our bands are, are and all this sort of stuff, like we're often supposed to sort of kind of be the creative directors against our will because like there's not a lot of people who are working for us so you kind of have to you're just used to doing everything yourself um i was curious if this was something that you always wanted to do or was it just falling into place because you're the you know front person in this band and you have creative ideas you know i was talking to a friend about this recently actually where that kind of thing where like when you look back into your life as a kid and you notice some of the things that you were really into that maybe you you might have needed someone to foster and be like, hey, you're interested in this and you're actually kind of good at this. You should yeah. keep doing it. One of the first ways – I was like so bossy in my like way to have fun, but there was a period of time where I was just like writing movies for my friends to star in. And just like making movies, like when my parents first got like a VHS tape thing, my friends and my sister and I would just make all these like comedy skits and like stop motion videos with Legos or Barbies and um, just like, you know, in camera editing completely. But just like I enjoyed playing with my friends and telling them exactly what to do in a scene. Sure. <laughs> I was like, now this is fun. Like, yeah, right, yeah. We gonna, yeah, guys, I've got an idea that we're, you know, we're going to yeah. see through. And uh, I, I loved that shit. And then I feel like once I realized that there's this aspect of music where you then get to bring something to life visually and you really get to expand upon the meaning and excitement behind a song, I was like, oh, this is this is actually something I've always been really, really interested in doing and kind of being more behind camera. What was the first video that you directed? Uh, the first video I directed was Drunk 2. Okay. And that video was excellent. Not right. a bad that, first. <laughs> first no, go. It, it's so impressive that that's your first two, considering there's like so many different shots. You know what I'm saying? There's like so many different cuts and scenes and like the way certain characters are introduced. Obviously, mutual friend Pierce. Uh, it's exciting to see him in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like it, it's it's got so much charm, you know, it does also feel like a video that would have been in the nineties, you know, like it's got that sort of element to it too. Um, talk to me about that shoot and like what that was like for you and how many days did it take? Was it one day? We only had the budget to shoot it in one day. I think it was like a 16 or 17 hour day because there's so many shoots and like, yeah, I honestly, I like what I love about music videos is also what I really love about being in a band, which is that it is a, collective of creative people who are all coming together with the focus of making something right and like um adam kolodny who was the director of photography on that and jex uh lex jibara a friend of mine some from new york and david this gaffer but just like so many of my friends were like willing to kind of like show me the way and show me, you know, translate to me what an idea actually looks like in a professional sense, you know, because knowing that I I just had the idea and was still understanding the language as to how you communicate those things. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, 
it really kind of kickstarted something in me where I was like, oh, I, I love music videos. Just how, you know, like they can be kind of corny and delightful and beautiful and further the meaning of a song in a way as well. And it just, and just like the act of working with other people is just something I love so much. Like I'm I'm not a lone wolf at all when it comes to creativity. Like I, I retreat to be alone to kind of like percolate those ideas and and kind of start the bones of them. But like once the bones are there, I love going to a group and being like, all right, let's like make this a body now. That's really cool. I wanted to ask how hard it was to sort of almost direct yourself in that situation because obviously you're such a forefront in that music video you're you know basically the star of it where you know it's a song obviously coming from a personal experience it's like you know lyrics that are very relatable for a lot of people who are heartbroken and it's like it tells the story of like these different suitors and all this sort of stuff um but you're obviously like in most of it so like were you doing the thing where you do a shot and then you'd like run to watch the playback and be like i want to do that again or were you just on such a tight schedule that you had to just keep moving no there's a reason i don't direct our music videos anymore because it is it's such a waste of time honestly to like shoot something go back to see the footage of it give yourself notes and then go back in there and you know we're working under small budgets and time constraints and like it just isn't it's not the best use of time to direct yourself and i i don't enjoy it at all it's probably nice to just have someone be like that was it or like if you were to do it for somebody else it's like it's more fun for you just to focus on that as opposed to having to also play the role yeah, you can still be part of the creative process and like put things together and and have an idea of the kind of the story you want to tell with the music video, but you know, I don't need to I don't need to be so involved. I would, I would rather I feel much more comfortable being off camera, just like behind camera than I do on like I don't know, it's so different to me like performing is very comes very naturally to me and and I love being on stage, but like the second I have to be in front of camera or I have to have like my photo taken or anything like that, I just, I like, I shrink and I feel deeply uncomfortable. Hmm. So I just have to kind of get over that. <laughs> are you, are you someone that like gets stage fright? No, I don't get any okay. stage fright when it comes okay. to performing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it's, it just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how certain circumstances dictate how you're gonna react to it i i understand what you're saying um what was the first tour that you ever did first tour we ever did was mm, maybe it would have been even before like that first record i think came out at all we we did like a two-week tour with some friends of mine from colorado who were in this band called lust cats of the gutters (laughs) okay and um, they they had toured like DIY style a lot. Um, well, actually, that was the first Mannequin Pussy tour I did. But the first tour I did was a f- maybe a few years before that. I played bass for the artist Colleen Green. Oh wow, that's awesome! How did and so how did that have come come together? Colleen played my my kitchen in Colorado, and that's how we met. And then is Colleen Green from California? Um, originally from Dunstable, Massachusetts. 
Oh, okay. And then lived in Oakland for a long time and okay. then was living in LA for okay. a while. I, just, um, I think because from being here, like I always, and the amount of times Colleen's been on festivals and shows, I just assume like that's a very California person, but okay. So yeah. interesting. What yeah, was that like? It was amazing. I mean, it was like the first time in my life where I felt really excited waking up every day. Hmm. Or I was just so ready for, I think I've always been a very kind of like wandering independent spirit where I don't, I don't really thrive under like strict routines and I don't thrive under like being told what to do every day. <laughs> and um, the touring lifestyle to me was just so, so freeing from right. what I had, everything I knew about life kind of up into that point was suddenly kind of thrown out the window as to. Do you remember how long uh, that Colleen Green tour was? I think that first tour was like five and a half weeks. Oh, so you saw like the country. Yeah, we did the whole ass thing. It was like my first, yeah, it was my first like kind of, it was probably like the third time I ever performed live was like the first show of that tour. Wow. So that's like boot camp in a lot of ways because it's like you're dealing with venue staff for the first time. You're dealing with all of that stuff. I mean, it was so DIY, you know, like we were playing like a lot of like houses okay. and basements and art galleries okay. and you know i think we also did south by southwest though like on that tour and it was very fun and uh yeah That's, it was just south this... by just a war zone though it is yeah it's an art <laughs> just the amount of but in 2011 to like a, a kid who'd never seen it it was like fucking Candyland. oh for no doubt no doubt i guess it's just hard not to for me not to like also just think about parking and loading in on a street that's blocked off and you have like cops yelling at you telling you you have to move your van or something well that's what was sick is we were a two-piece you know it was, oh. like a dr- it was like a drum machine and us so it was just so easy oh that's amazing i didn't i didn't understand how difficult touring can be sure yes. un- until later like until that realization later. would would come uh, but this was just easy was that your first time in california or had you been out here before um, yeah, it was like pretty much my first time out in California. Nice. And it was just, yeah, it was like my first time ever playing bass. Um, cause Colleen had reached out to me and was like, it was seven months or so after she played my kitchen and she just reached out to me randomly one day and was like, Hey, I'm pretty sure you're a musical and I'm going on this tour. Like, would you could you play bass? And I had never played bass in my life. And I had just started learning how to play guitar for Mannequin Pussy. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, I could do that. Yeah, I, I, I play bass. Just <laughs> just tell me what the notes are. Right. How did it go? Like, what, what, it was, was it pretty, pretty quick to just pick it up? Yeah, I crushed it. And, oh, I, you yeah. know, I, I practiced really hard for like, I had like, I think two months to prepare. Oh, nice, nice. And nice. I just like, you know, I would be like working at a, a coffee shop and then just grinding, like learning all these songs and learning how to play bass kind of for the first time. And I mean, how flattering that, you know, months after they, you know, played your place that they thought to ask you, you obviously must have left some sort of an impression. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I'm curious when it came time for Mannequin Pussy to do 
your first touring, was it was it any of the people that you met on that Colleen Green tour that helped you out? Yeah, I don't think it, that it would have been as possible for us without having done. I did two tours with Colleen, and like, um, yeah, it was just like that that community of DIY musicians, especially like kind of mid twenty tens time, was just really strong. One thousand percent, it totally lays the foundation, and it it just yeah, like. Touche started to mostly do, we were still doing a lot of DIY tours, like basically 2008 to 2011. And the amount of times it was just like, because of this band that helped us out in this town, now they can, you know, all that, Uh all that usual stuff. Um, I couldn't even imagine now. Uh, But yeah, it was, it felt really nice, you know, and like we, I don't know how we, how your situation was, but like we even rarely had any shows fall through because most people became yeah. pretty reliable, you know? Yeah, Which... seriously. Same for us. I don't think we've ever had a show fall through. Maybe like, like one time, I think in Miami we did and that was it. Looking for an extraordinary coffee? Look no further than Heartwork Coffee. With eight years of excellence and proudly roasting in the vibrant city of San Diego, California, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to explore a wide range of single origin and blended coffees to suit your taste preference. On a personal note, co-founder Rob Moran has played in so many bands that have inspired me personally, like Unbroken and Some Girls, for example, and it's been amazing watching Heartwork thrive all these years. The coffee is amazing and I'm thrilled to support this company. Once again, Visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to place an order. That is H-E-A-R-T workcoffeebar.com. What about your first international tour? That was, um, that, oh, wow. Actually, yeah, that would have been after Romantic came out. And Mandigan Pussy went to Europe for the first time. And I think on that tour, we played like Primavera Festival for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. That was like our first time over there. Wow. Um, And had you ever left the country before? Was that your first time also ever being in Europe? Yeah. It wasn't my first time leaving the country, but it, it was like my first. It was my first time going to so many of those places that I had just only ever kind of, you know, heard about or Sure. And like I'm like such a a dreamer, like I really kind of I live in my head in a very practical way where I'm like, well, if, if I'm dreaming about it all the time, I should probably like get out there and make it happen. Uh-huh. And there were just all these these places that I was just like had wanted to see so much and then all of a sudden was there any place that you remember from that first trip that like really made an impact on you? Um, Barcelona really did make an impact on me. It was just such a beautiful city and so vibrant and so like, but just like museums everywhere and so gorgeous. And then the Netherlands, I think Amsterdam, that was also like, when I saw Amsterdam, I was just like, holy shit. Yeah. We've got it all wrong, guys. <laughs> the amount of times I've almost been hit by a bike, but you know what? It's my fault. It's not their yeah. fault. It's my yeah, fault. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What a beautiful place, though. Absolutely. The bridges, the the cobblestone streets, like everything about it is, is so remarkable. It's unbelievable. Um, 
have you like as you ha- or have have you all gone back like pretty often like uh do you do the uk more often than mainland or we haven't actually gone back that much you know i i think for you know i hate to bring it up but covid really <laughs> kind of at the time that like we were like kind of really i feel like getting started as a band in a lot of ways was 2019 totally where it was like oh shit this is like something that we could yeah potentially be out there doing when that was happening that was kind of like when everything shut down so we we've been like phenomenally blessed to come out of the pandemic being more popular than we were going into it and having more opportunities and people who are so excited to come see us again like that is just an absolutely wild thing I will never take for granted and and not be so grateful for. My heart. So now we're going back more and more. My heart broke so much for bands, especially if like, as you're describing, like you had a record come out in 2019, it was, you know, getting so well received. And then all of a sudden everything just goes away. And it's like, yeah, I, I completely, my heart broke for a lot of bands that were really on the come up. And then, you know, it's so hard to keep people's attention in this world that we live in that it's like when it's like what else you know it's like you can only do so much so um it is amazing that obviously the band grew even bigger and and you know i know you put out an ep in like 2021 which i'm sure was exciting to have new music after all of that um i also saw you guys played outbreak festival we played that same festival but i think we were a day after you and that was to this day one of the best experiences ever like that was such a culmination of so many people who are just excited to see music. I don't know what your experience was like. Did you have a good that time? UK tour was so much fun for yeah. us. Like Outbreak was such a good time. The shows were amazing. Like it, it was our first time, I think, going to the just the UK to do a UK tour and being like, oh, this is really fun. Like, yeah. What else did you do? Did you play shows with around there? I think it was just us. Kind well, oh, okay, of. sure. Like, uh, or we did, oh, like we had just done a, a fall tour with Angel Dust. Oh, and so okay. we, we played a show in London with Angel Dust as well. But it was like, at that time, I think because Outbreak was going on, there were so many American bands mm-hmm. touring at the same time in the same place. So it was like, yeah. kind of every night there was like, oh, like, guess who's just down the street? It totally. Yeah, that, yeah. We experienced that too, where it was just like cool we're playing here with scowl but like you know a town and a half over you know military guns playing with drug church and uh, two things over from there young gov is playing with such and such you're just like oh boy yeah that's a yeah. lot of competition i hope everyone has a good show <laughs> it was so great yeah no it was awesome i wanted to ask you about uh the patience record because i know that was your first time working with will yip right yeah how was that experience for you he's such a lovely person Oh, he like he really saved that record because something I don't know how if that many people know this, but we we re-recorded Patience. We recorded it twice. I did not know that. So we recorded it, um, and when I was listening to the mixes the first time, I was like, mm, "They don't make me feel anything." It's a bad feeling. I've been there too. I know what that feels like. Bad feeling. It's a bad feeling. And I just didn't I, – I, I have such like high standards for I think myself and 
kind of like the work of the people around me as well. And and something a rule that I like really do live by is that if I don't feel an emotional reaction to this thing I've labored over creatively and like poured so much into, then I cannot expect anyone to feel anything for what I've made. So it was like w- one of the tougher conversations we've had as a band. Um, but ultimately everyone agreed with me that it just wasn't, wasn't right. And yeah. it was at a really weird time in our band too. Cause like we were maybe going to sign to Epitaph. Like, Oh, so that hadn't happened yet. No, that hadn't happened yet. Cause tiny engines was getting a little buyout and, um, but like maybe they were going to take the button, but maybe they weren't, maybe they were, they were very noncommittal and, and not very communicative as to like what was going to happen. Right. And so, so like, like where you were was kind of murky. You're just like, yeah, oh, we didn't know how oh, much wow. money we were going to have to make it. Like we, you know, we spent, you know, what we had and then we did a tour with turnover and on that tour, I, um, became, you know, friends with the turnover guys and I was talking to Austin and was just like kind of telling him the the position we were in and how I just made this record I'm not happy about and like it, I don't feel like it's you know a, a direct a good reflection of kind of like where how we've grown or you know, whatever and he he gossiped to Will Yip about it and Will saw us play at Union Transfer I think for the first time with them and then he sent me a DM that was like hey, Austin told me the situation you're in and like I saw you play and I loved it. And he was like, honestly, I will record your album for you. And if you guys sign to Epitaph, I'll get paid. Cool. But if you don't, then I'll just do this record for you. Crazy, right? What a legend. Fucking crazy. Yeah, William is a legend. And, you know, I'm sure listeners – might have an idea if you know anything about Will yet, but like this is a man that is it's not like he doesn't have things to do like he's the most yeah. overworked can't slow down like is if he's not recording he's mixing if he's not mixing he's planning he's like such a busy guy so like the fact that he also made time to do that speaks so much about him as a person I know I, even saying it out loud I'm like is that really what happened and I'm like yeah it is which is how just quick, like crazy. So how, I got to ask how quickly between that conversation and then you going back and, and starting over, how, like, and I'm, and you know, also I want, I'm going to have some follow-up questions about the starting over process, but like how quickly <laughs> did that come together? Well, it was like, I sent him, you know, uh, the mixes of like where things currently stood and, and, you know, which was like, this, this is the record that we have right now. And, tried to kind of communicate like I'm like it's just, it's just not capturing this like emotional core that to me is like kind of missing um and whether that's through like my performances or the performances you know whatever and I, I think it was pretty quick like after that tour that tour was definitely a spring tour and I feel like by summer we were in the studio with Will oh wow okay so yeah pretty quick yeah and that so, was also a tough conversation because I had to tell my friends who we made that record with. I was like, I'm taking this record away. Totally. Yeah. Um, so when it came time to do it over again, was it a situation of like listening back to what you had recorded and being like, this is what I want to do differently, like in the sense of 
maybe we play the song a little bit faster or maybe I'm going to change my phrasing here. Or like, I'm curious how eight, like if you were to A, B the records, aside from just sonically and tonally, like what changes were actually made and like maybe how involved Will might've been with like any suggestions that you took potentially. I'm really curious to like, listen to those original mixes to Would it kind be funny of if you put it on and you're like, yo, it's kind of slaps. <laughs> yeah, I I have like one do that. Me and Bear have talked about that actually to be like, yo, maybe we should like just listen to them and kind of see what's up. But <laughs> I think it was like drunk too specifically to me where I was like, I listened to it and I was like, I don't feel what I felt when I like wrote that song alone on the guitar. Like I was like crying when I wrote it and just so sad and I just didn't feel that hit. And I I feel – you know, I, we also like kind of recorded it uh, live the first time. And I think it needed to be a little bit more polished. Like it needed to feel like like a step up for us in a way. Yeah. And like, I don't know. I feel like not that much change really except for like Will. Like we maybe like, like different equipment and like I, I feel like I feel like a lot of the – I don't know. I'm not always the best person to ask because I, I think I just kind of like enter like a, a like a vacuum when I get into a studio where I can't yeah. remember what has happened until – You have – Yeah, you, I don't know. You have <laughs> such an incredible drummer and Will being a drummer and someone who loves drums and loves drum tones. I mean, the drum sound alone on that record and you can hear the care – because Will knew that he had a good drummer on his hands. That exactly that was a, that, a, that plays a big role in it too. That was actually a huge part of it too. Like listening to original things and being like, Kayleen's drums just like don't hit. And I'm like, Kayleen is the most like hitting. Like she's someone who spends so much time crafting her drum parts. Like she she thinks about every single moment of her of her drums and like what it is going to do and and how it it plays off of like my inflections and what is happening sonically and what's happening emotionally. Like she's a really like emotional drummer. Like, and she knows how to use her instrument in that way. And like, I think that was such a huge thing for us with like playing it with Will was that like, we had that drum sound that I think we, we were all kind of just wanting for so long. For sure. Yeah. And Will being such a patient, caring person too and like making sure that the person that he's working with is like happy as well you know it's like he has his own standards but i think there's also a level of like care and consideration for like making sure that his artists are also getting what they're hoping for um i was curious what it was like for re-recording the vocals for you it like, was, in a, was I mean, it a longer process or it was a bit of a longer process because I, especially back then, I don't think I like really weren't, I didn't know how to sing very well. and I didn't know how to take care of my voice very well. So I would like blow out my voice kind of quickly and then like, you know, have to leave the studio, come back in a few days, like when I got it back and like, I'm stronger now. But I, Will was so, I think, helpful in making me feel comfortable which as it turns out is kind of like one of the most important ingredients that you need, you know, you could have all like the pedals and like special plugins and all that shit in the world. But like, if you don't actually feel comfortable to 
express yourself and to kind of like try out different things. You know, you have to be comfortable to like fail a little bit as well because you're not going to get it immediately, always. Like it's something that you're going to have to search for. And I think he really knew – he was like the first person I met who really knew how to give me feedback in a way that I could understand it. And it's also something I'm like very desirous of. Like I love – some constructive criticism. Like I love because constructive criticism to me means someone is actually listening. Hmm. They're not just passively saying it's great. And like false flattery is the fucking death of art. You know, like I do not want to be told something is great if that's not actually how the person who I'm showing it to, who's there to help me make it the best. Like I just do not want to be bullshitted. Absolutely. I, 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 I'm going to be thinking about that for probably a, a, a few weeks at the very least, 1000%. Um, so talk to me about, you have this new record, which I just realized while doing, um, you know, fucking research for this, it doesn't come out till March. I know, right? <laughs> what do you, what the fuck are you doing dropping music videos in like, in like July? In like in August, um, in September? <laughs> Well, you know, we did this fall, we did this fall tour and I was like I do not want to go on a tour unless I can put out new music. Okay, that's fair. And then Epitaph was talking about how like, you know, lead times for albums are are longer actually than they have been and then with with the time of the holidays where everything kind of slows down in the industry, they're like whatever. I mean, I get it. It makes sense, you know, like it keeps people interested. Do you have plan not to spoil things? Do you have plans to to release a few more singles before? Yeah, I I, there's going to be two one. more singles. There's going to be another single that comes out on the 14th, um, okay. with like our tour announce, and then is there going to be there, another music video and like our and not to spoil not this? Not really. No, like there's we kind of like kind of spend all the money <laughs> on. On stuff, so we'll see if if we'll get to do another one maybe down the line. Because the, um, the two that have come out, they seem like they're in the same universe, right? There's yeah, they're... they were in the same universe. Yeah. Um, which I don't know if I would do that again, but uh, like we filmed those videos back to back, and it was yeah. like very stressful to do two different music videos back to back. I bet. Yeah. Was it like the same two days or something? Yeah it, yeah. it was like day one was I got heaven. Day two was I don't know you. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I mean, I've yeah, it's so it is so weird to be like, yeah, this this record doesn't come out until fucking March. Where did you film it's those videos? Was crazy. it in like Pennsylvania? Like yeah, Pennsylvania sticks? on a farm. Yeah, I mean, they look beautiful. They're done really, really well. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very happy with them. It was just, it felt so good just to make something again, like be outside and totally have a little freaky idea and watch it blossom. Uh, before we wrap up, I want to ask, cause you did this record with John Congleton, right? Yes. Talk to me about that. I, I, he's, he's someone I'm a fan of. We almost went to him for our last record at one point. Um, but the timings weren't right. And like he and I got coffee and we like chatted it up and it was nice to get to know him. And like, we, we had chemistry, but it just ended up, you know, we said maybe another time or something, but I, I yeah. was excited about the opportunity. So what was it like working with him? I love John. I mean, we such a. In that same way that like it kind of like will makes you feel very comfortable and and just like like ready to get to work, 
John is like this, he's just this devious, like, like filthy little animal that just like totally speaks to my soul. Like he just has like the same kind of like perverse sense of humor that Mannequin Pussy does. Like Mannequin Pussy, we're just like, we're filthy people. Like the things that we say sometimes are just like perverse and disgusting and horny and like all these different ways. And I think John just saw that and was like, guess what, guys? Like, I'm that times 10. Like, he just – he's so – yeah, he just – he's like – he's our hog father. We love him. And we were his – we were his his little piglets in there just, like, trying to do our work. And, you know, I, I felt, like, very, like, uh, intimidated in some ways by John at first because, you know, he just has this – he's been around for so long and he's worked with such legends and everything. And I was just like, what am I doing here? And, you know, like battling that kind of like doubt as one has, but it was just, um, it was also very different that we went into this record in a way where I think John had reached out to Brett Gurowitz, who's the, for those who do not know, founder of Epitaph Records and a bad religion fame. Shout out to Brett. Love Brett. And Brett called me one day and was like, hey, I just like talked to John Congleton and he really wants to meet you and like potentially like do your next record. He's like, I really think that this is the record where you guys should leave Philadelphia and do a destination record. He was, I was like, I ask think where you did it. Yeah. He was like, I, Brett was like, really like, I think you guys should just like get out of your your homes and your comfort zones and and go somewhere and like make this record and like just kind of like write with with him. And so we we went out in um like December of 2022 and met John and kind of did like a writing session where we just showed him different songs we had that we were working on and then just kind of like wrote in studio and that was like 4 days and then we after four days, I think we had 17 songs. Wow. And then we went home and listened to all those songs and we we graded them all A, B, or C. Or B with potential to be A. Okay. And then anything that made our list as A or B with potential to be A is a song that then ended ultimately like getting recorded and being on the record. Wow. Okay, so... I this is fascinating to me. So you went in to do those writing sessions. Were the songs like pretty flushed out or were they like, were some of them like skeletons? Like, and how, how I'm for my own personal interest, how far along with lyrics were you in these songs? Not at all. I'm like, I'm such a last minute person when it comes to lyrics. Like I'll be, I'll be the person who's like rolling up day of that. I have to do lyrics and I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I got it. Like, like oh, I got to hang out outside with my yeah, laptop yeah. for a while. Hold up. Just, yeah, just give me a sec. Um, yeah, it, it's hard for me to work on too many things at once uh-huh. as well. Like I really need to kind of like, I feel like immerse myself or like entomb myself in one song at a time to really understand the flavors of it. But um, yeah, me and Maxine did like a lot of like writing together um, and she's just like such a, a – phenomenal creative spirit and like I feel like my my like creative sister in this life where we've we've made music with each other for years but this is our first time like being in a band together that like has 
pressure behind it and mm. and like you know a a label behind it and all this like we've like make pop music and stuff but yeah she and i just like kind of speak the same language without speaking it and so like she'll come up with like a riff and i just in instinctually know what to do with it just melody wise and right um yeah i mean yeah like a lot of skeletons a lot of just like throwing riffs out there and then like a lot of throwing riffs away or being like nah that's stock or like yes that that rips like that makes me feel something and i think that's what the writing process is you're looking for something that makes you feel something i I'm curious about how similar the taste that you all had with him was like, were you, did you find yourself having like equal interest in certain parts or were you kind of taken back by like his approach to things being very different than your own? John has a very laid back approach until he doesn't, unless he adamantly really doesn't like something, then he becomes, um, yeah, you know, it's like spicier. very obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he becomes like very spicy about it. But that didn't happen. The, the only time I think that like really happened is like when I like wanted to put like auto tune, like a la like kind of Frank Ocean-y something yeah. on. And he was just like, I just hate, like he got so passionate about how much he hates auto tune and how yeah. he thinks it's just the worst, you know. And that was kind of fun to just like see him get all like. Worked, worked up. up worked up about something yeah. I was like, oh he hates it so much but um yeah I, I think a lot of our um I, I think John gave us a really needed like kind of just like fifth element to just or like fifth presence to just be there and just think about how something sounds and feels without any of the kind of ego that can sometimes come from being the one to show it to everyone. Right. Where, you know, I, I think you do have to work really hard as a musician to separate your own ego from something that you've made where you are open to receiving criticism on it because like no one is criticizing it because of like what they think about you. It's like they're criticizing it so that they can make it better. You know, like that's like when I talk about, false flattery and all that is just like and how much I long to be criticized by my fellow bandmates and like by my producer and all that is because like that's the only way I'm going to get better is if kind of someone shows me what's not working about what we're doing totally um and it just I don't know like it's just I think also like John and Maxine had like a really beautiful way of working together in the studio and like I just love the way that he made Kayleen's drum sound and, um, you know, like Bear's bass is just so booming and like has like such a, such a presence in, especially in like I Got Heaven in a lot of these songs. Like I think John understood us in a way as well as like musicians who really like to, to flirt with a lot of different styles of, of music. And I think that that's the part I'm most excited about hearing the full record is because the two singles you've put out, you know, sonically are quite different, but you could still tell that it's coming from the same DNA and what that DNA is, is very eclectic, but it all still feels like it's existing in the same universe, but it's, it just like, yeah, it comes off very passionate, but it also comes off, um, 
mysterious in a lot of ways and like i don't know there's a, there's so many different things going on that um i think it's my most like anticipated record for at least till th- that i'm aware of for next year so i'm very i'm very excited to hear it in Thank full you. I'm this is my most anticipated record as well. And <laughs> yeah. I, I already I already know what it sounds like and but yeah, it's 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 so desirous. It's so like it's just su- it's I think it's like a record that just like has so much longing in it. And um, and like all different types of w- what longing is. Actually, I don't know if I if if I actually ended up hearing it. Where did you guys end up recording it? Steakhouse Studios? Where's that? In, oh, is it it's in a, LA? It's in the Valley. Yeah, yeah. in LA. I we wow okay so our record before the last one we recorded drums just the drums at Steakhouse. That oh, place is cool. yeah, it's got a really nice vibe in there. Apparently, yeah. it's the guys from Toto. I don't know if I realize that. I really? think yeah, I think it's their studio. It's the the studio that Africa built. <laughs> wow, maybe I knew that then. I mean, it's that was recorded in like 2015 or something. But wow, that's. That's super cool. That's now I, it's nice to like be able to visualize where you where you all recorded that. That's awesome. <laughs> um, well, I'll hit you with the last question, which is when was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards? The first time that it felt like the entire audience was singing along the lyrics. That felt. That was it. That was it. Do you happen to not to put you on the spot, but do you happen to remember like an instance where that where you felt that like at, at like what record would that have been? Would that have been off of patience? The, the, off patience. Yeah, patience. It was patience. It, I think we was like playing drunk too, and for the first time, just seeing how passionately people kind of like can lose themselves and and have that cathartic experience that they're so desirous for as well you know like they they connected to something because they felt it and and it it spoke to me you know maybe exactly where they are right now or where they were and just and seeing them kind of like relive those emotions with you in real time was i think that that first patience tour that we did which was also like our, our first proper like headliner where it was the first time we were like selling out shows and um the first time that people were singing along with like their full chest and just that really made me feel like oh oh, <laughs> oh. like i maybe just maybe <laughs> yeah that's yeah there's there's no feeling quite like that like i i don't know how you operate when you're performing if this if you ever have this but like you know not to pull back the curtain a lot, but I do feel like a lot of us kind of go on autopilot a little bit when you're like sort of about what you're specifically singing about, you know, like just for the performance sake or, you know, some sort of potential like, you know, guard against preservation. Yes, exactly. One thousand percent. But for me, it's often when I see someone reacting to a song in a specific way, which does make me then get more emotional about it and then you know like that's when i feel like the true like kind of catharsis of whatever it is really kind of shines um did you find that starting to happen more and more as you know you you did more and more touring off of it once i went on in ears it definitely changes cuz you so? well cuz you you don't hear the audience anymore and it's it's good not to hear the audience because 
like I said before, I'm not the strongest singers and the audience doesn't tend to sing on key. So I would, I would, I would get like, you know, like matching the with them a little bit. Yeah. Or... Yeah. Yeah. I was definitely kind of mad. I was trying to like harmonize like with the crowd, bad, bad look, not, does not sound good. <laughs> uh, it pulled me into their darkness a little bit, but like it, it just, uh, yeah. Once I went on in-ears and, and I realized I was having a very different experience for each show than what they were hearing in front of me, which sometimes yeah. I, I would also have to remind myself that what I'm hearing in my ears is not the totality of the experience that's happening like right in front of me. And so looking more to like kind of like facial cues and, and like kind of those emotions that you see to allow me to like tap more into it. Well said. I get it. I get it. This has been awesome. It's been uh, it's been really nice getting to to hang out with you. Thanks so much. Yeah, this has been wonderful. Uh, hopefully I'll, you know, I'm going to be in LA in December. So maybe we'll uh, have some fun. Fuck yeah. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Missy for coming on and thank you for listening. This episode was produced, edited, and made to sound so great by my boy Ryan Rainbow. Shout out to him. And reminder that there's a bonus episode available right now if you head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. Subscribe for as little as $3 a month and get access to that bonus episode. Thank you so much. Hope to see you on tour. Take care. Be good. Bye. Bye.